In 2018, the UN declared the conflict in Yemen the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. In this episode, Hanwen and I walk through how Yemen arrived at this point, the consequences of the crisis for civilians, and how the international community has responded. Like many people, Yemen had been in the periphery of our political awareness for years. Hanwen and I had little understanding of what is happening in Yemen before investigating this crisis in our politics of the Middle East and North Africa class at Middlebury College. We hope that this episode will explain the situation so that we can begin to understand the crisis and respond with appropriate action. So Hanwen, can you start us off and tell us how Yemen arrived at this point that we see today? I believe that to understand Yemen's present developments, we must refer to its history, which lay the roots of its north-south separation and its partisan landscape. So historically, North Yemen was ruled by a Zaydi Imam monarchy, which was established back in the 9th century, and continued to rule Yemen until 1962. The coastal regions in the south, however, have been loosely ruled by the Ottoman Empire from the 15th century until the 18th century, when the British captured Aden in the south in 1843 and established two protectorates, the East and West Aden Protectorates. This situation continued until the 1960s when global anti-colonial struggles have ensued and Britain is seeking a territorial retreat from the Middle East. From 1959 until 1962, Britain gradually merged the Aden Protectorate provinces into a Federation of Arabian Emirates of the South, which later became South Yemen. Meanwhile, in 1962, the Zaydi monarchy was overthrown by a group of officer republicans, who later established the new Yemen Arab Republic. In 1978, Ali Abdallah Saleh became president of this new republic. Meanwhile, in the South, however, deeply entrenched tribal relations and conflicts have led to different tribal parties fighting over the fate of the country since its independence from Britain in 1967. Eventually, the National Liberation Front gained an upper hand, and the People's Republic of Yemen was established in the South. The regime drifted towards the Soviet Union and was a Marxist state from the 1970s until the Soviet collapse in 1990. Destabilizing political conditions in the South after Soviet collapse led to a civil war, which eventually united the two Yemens under the northern Saleh regime. Southern secessionism, however, has not been completely eliminated in that civil war. Therefore, the north-south separation is both endogenous and enforced by British colonialism and deeply entrenched by ideological struggles after the anti-colonial struggles. The United Republic remained under Saleh's authoritarian rule until Arab uprisings spread to Yemen. In January 2011, demonstrations began demanding his resignation. He refused, and violence erupted between the police and protesters. In November, Saleh signed an agreement that ensured his deputy, Abdrabu Mansour Hardy, would assume power to form a unity government, the one that the United Nations currently recognizes as Yemen's official government. But a major Zaydi family in the north, called the Houthis, who wants to revive power, which was taken away from them in the Republican Revolution, decides to leverage this opportunity. So they politicize their sectarian identity 
and quickly formed the Houthi rebels. In September 2014, they managed to take over Sana'a, Yemen's capital, and demanded a new government. This is the point at which conflicts officially escalate into a civil war, with the participating forces tracing all the way back to Yemen's state-building process. Because there was no strong national identity and deeply entrenched north-south separatism, Mansour Hardy lacks the ideological support to crack down on the Houthi rebels and maintain the state as a whole. So he fled to Aden and organized forces that are loyal to the government to fight against the Houthis. Supporting him was a coalition force formed by Saudi Arabia and the UAE, commanded by the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who feared that the Houthis' Shia Islamist ideology is at odds with that of Saudi Arabia's, and their presence in North Yemen would constitute a threat to Saudi's borders. And of course, the United States assisted its ally Saudi Arabia in the form of arms sales and aid. On the other side of the civil war. Former President Saleh announced in 2016 to side with the Houthis and form a political council to govern Sana and northern Yemen, the majority of which was then under Houthi control. In December 2017, however, Saleh was said to have softened on his view towards negotiations and broke away from the Houthis and encouraged his followers to fight them. He was promptly killed. From this, we observe that the Houthis has become a patrimonial force that regards itself as guardian of the state and the regime, and they strongly reject negotiations that will consolidate Mansour Hardy's control of the South. They sought control from Iran, who had an interest in countering the United States and its ally Saudi Arabia in the Arab Peninsula. Chaos in the region was further complicated by the presence of Sunni terrorist group ISIS, who set off two suicide bombs in Sana. In March 2015, and triggered Houthi advancement against ISIS, as well as constant U.S. counterterrorism airstrikes, with ardent Iranian support and internal divisions among the southern separatists and Mansour Hardy government. The Houthis have managed to advance continuously. As of now, they have managed to seize control over the majority of North Yemen and now lay siege upon the oil and gas-rich province of Marib. The last government bastion in the north. Saudi Arabia is seeking a speedy exit from the combat, and has put forward a ceasefire plan. And the international community is also urging for a ceasefire due to the severe conditions Yemeni civilians are suffering from after almost a decade of combat. But the Houthis are motivated by the prospect of control over entire Yemen, and display no wish so far to accept the peace plan. So, how is the conflict impacting common Yemeni civilians, and who is bearing disproportionately more harm? Right. So, as we mentioned, the crisis in Yemen is considered to be the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. But let's break down what that actually means a bit. The war has devolved into an all-out crisis for civilians. Nearly seven years into the conflict, over 184,000 civilians have been killed. The UN has an even higher estimate, guessing that 233,000 people have died due to the war, many from indirect causes like disease and starvation. Civilians are often caught in the crossfire of indiscriminate bombing campaigns. Since March of 2015, it is estimated that Saudi-led coalition forces have completed between 20,000 to 50,000 airstrikes, and almost a third of these airstrikes have landed in explicitly civilian places. 
such as homes, hospitals, schools, weddings, food stores, markets, and mosques. Houthis and Saudi forces have indiscriminately bombed heavily populated cities as well, damaging infrastructure, wounding many, and killing thousands. To add to this list, Houthis have also been known to use landmines, despite the fact that landmines do not comply with international humanitarian law. Like the rest of the conflict, civilians have been on the receiving end of this war tactic, killing 498 civilians via landmines in 2019. Landmines have made it difficult for aid workers to reach impacted people and has intensified food insecurity in the region. Which brings us, ne- us to the next consequence this war has caused. Food insecurity is truly too mild of a term to describe the level of famine Yemen faces. Starvation and malnutrition are rampant problems Yemeni people and children face. The war has created food shortages in many areas of the country. The Saudi-led coalition has blocked the entry of humanitarian and commercial goods to the country, imposing blockades on airports and seaports. In 2017, over 750,000 tons of humanitarian and commercial aid were obstructed or delayed from entering Yemen and reaching the millions of civilians who depended on these goods. The UN has noted that these blockades function as a war tactic, since they threaten civilian starvation as a bargaining tool. 13.5 million people, nearly half of the Yemeni population, are currently food insecure, meaning they struggle to know where their next meal will come from. The UN has estimated that 3.6 million people are in an emergency state of food and access, and 16,500 people have reached catastrophe. This year, 400,000 children are at risk of dying of hunger. What's more, chronic hunger and starvation make people more vulnerable to dying by disease, an issue that the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly exacerbated and that we will discuss in more detail later in the episode. But Yemen has been ravaged by an epidemic long before COVID. Cholera has devastated Yemen and overwhelmed the already limited medical resources and hospitals that the war has severely weakened. In 2017, cholera was killing one person nearly every hour and the threat has not subsided. It continues to devastate communities and families, even in the midst of the additional COVID-19 pandemic. At this point, I hope that it is evident that the consequences of this war have been absolutely dire. It has affected every facet of life for the millions of Yemeni people that have been living in a war zone for the past seven years. No person has been left unaffected. With that said, I now want to turn my attention to the second half of this question. Who is bearing a disproportionate impact from the conflict? I doubt this will be much of a surprise, but women and girls have been particularly impacted by this conflict. Women's rights were already limited before the war began, and the war has only worsened the situation for women across the country. Amnesty International has labeled Yemen one of the worst places in the world to be a woman, And in 2017, Yemen ranked last in the gender gap index out of 144 countries. To start, the war has heightened the levels of gender-based violence. The UN estimates that 63% of women in Yemen have been targets of assault and abuse. Many women have lost parents and husbands, 
and in a society with pre-existing rigid gender roles and limited freedom for women outside of their relationships with their families and husbands, losing either can make women even more vulnerable. Because so many men have died in the war, women have also had to become the primary providers for the families, which means they are the ones having to contend with the severe food shortages and diseases. The women provide for the families even while they face social and legal restrictions that limit their ability to take care of their families, such as access to employment. What's more, because of the pressures of hunger and poverty, many families have resorted to selling their daughters into marriage at incredibly young ages, including just at nine years old. While the war is still unfolding, two-thirds of Yemeni girls are married before they turn 18. While there is no doubt that the war has impacted all Yemeni people in terrible ways, it has also created the conditions where women, who were already severely subjugated before the war, have faced an increase in gender-based violence, abuse, and a disproportionate responsibility to care for their communities, communities which have been absolutely devastated by this horrible and ongoing conflict. I hope it is clear at this point that the war in Yemen has generated widespread crises, which leads us to ask what the international response has been to the conflict in Yemen. Why has Yemen not received the attention and aid one might expect given the UN's declaration? So despite the UN declaration that the current humanitarian crisis in Yemen is the most severe one in the history of humanity, the conflict has also been unprecedentedly underreported and underaided by the Western world. There are several reasons behind the underreporting, political ones and cultural ones. I personally think that the most prominent political reason, as John Robin Bustamante put it, is that the Yemeni conflict is a confluence of three American media taboos, poor non-white victims on a third world country, bipartisan political blame, and an unpopular friendship with an undemocratic regime. So to elaborate on that, after Al-Qaeda and the majority of ISIS is driven out from Yemen, there is no force in the current Yemeni conflict who makes an impact or threat that is directly felt by the Western audience. Which explains a lot why we turn our eyes to Syria because Syrian refugees are setting foot on the European continent, but not to displaced people in Yemen. And by bipartisan political blame is meant that sustained U.S. support of its ally Saudi Arabia has not led to its military success in Yemen. And this budget poorly spent is definitely a shame that does not want to be discussed. Which leads us to the third reason mentioned by Bastamte, which is unpopular friendship with an undemocratic regime. We already observed that the Biden administration is turning a new eye towards Saudi Arabia's human rights violations and strive to hold its repressive regime accountable. So naturally, American partnership with this repressive regime in its invasion in Yemen will be downplayed. And still, there are other more local reasons. The rivaling forces in Yemen have tried to control the media for their own legitimation. This polarizes reporting on the conflict and domestic reporters are trapped in between. Foreign reporters are vulnerable to imprisonment and injury in the attacks. According to the Yemeni Journalist Syndicate, there have been 112 cases of violations of media and journalists' rights back in 2020, including killings, torture, kidnappings, arrests, and bans. So these have kept the Yemeni civil war away from the attention of Western audience, 
and most of them would assume it as a local conflict, ignoring the role that Saudi Arabia, Iran, the United States have played in it, and the severe human rights violations that are going on. As a result, aid to the suffering civilian population has been really scarce. A UN conference in March 2021 sought to raise $3.85 billion for the Yemeni civilians, but only raised $1.35 billion. The Biden administration had pledged $19 million in U.S. assistance, far below their fair share of $1.2 billion. The U.K. has cut its funds by 50%, citing that the pandemic created a difficult financial context for us all. The United Nations chief, Antonio Guterres, said reducing aid was a death sentence. But despite his condemnation, the reality is that the lack of strategic importance of Yemen today has made most major political actors in the world increasingly reluctant to invest large amounts of funds to aid the country, especially in a prospect where peace is nowhere on the horizon and the state simply seems like a bottomless pit. So my personal opinion on the issue of foreign aid to Yemen is that aid will not ensue unless the international community sees a prospect of peace. And if any, that will most likely come from Saudi Arabia, seeking a good relationship with Iran. For the surprisingly long invasion in Yemen has proved a shame for Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, it undermined his authority as well as Saudi Arabia's economy. Therefore, with the US now withdrawing from the conflict and accusing him of human rights violations, escalating Saudi's tension with either the Houthis or Iran will be too costly in the status quo. In a TV interview broadcast in April, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has expressed that Saudi Arabia did not want the situation with Iran to be too difficult. So it all depends on whether Iran will accept Saudi's olive branch and stop strengthening the Houthis as its strategic bridgehead against the Gulf states. If so, it is much more possible that the Houthis will be willing to sit down at the negotiation table. So to conclude a bit, a lack of strategic interest in the region has led the Western world to continuously turn a blind eye to the crises and suffering in Yemen. But if the COVID-19 pandemic ever taught us one thing, it is that it will be naive and unjust to think we can seal off secure regions of the world from insecure ones. And with that, we will turn to the COVID-19 situation in Yemen. For Yemeni people who have been facing disease, famine, airstrikes, and poverty for years, the COVID-19 pandemic has been an additional crisis for them to navigate. And with many still trying to find where their next meal will come from, worrying about COVID can easily become a secondary concern. However, because of poor medical infrastructure, limited resources, and millions of people internally displaced within Yemen, COVID has posed a particularly greater risk to the Yemeni population. The official case number in Yemen stands at 6,649, with 1,304 deaths. However, testing capacities have been severely sparse, and many believe that the true number of cases is much, much higher. The UN, amongst other aid organizations, believe that unchecked, uncontrolled community spread of the virus has been unfolding since its first reported case in April of 2020. Houthi authorities have also been accused of suppressing data about COVID-19 in their territories, making it even more difficult to fully understand the toll COVID has taken in Yemen. 
Because of the limited data, it is hard to know for sure how many people have lost their lives to COVID specifically. But COVID has impacted the country in ways beyond case numbers and additional death counts. The pandemic has overwhelmed a system already at its brink and exacerbated many of the issues the country has faced during the war. The war has effectively destroyed the healthcare system in Yemen, leaving the country unprepared to handle the pandemic. What's more, Yemen continues to face the worst cholera outbreak in modern history, with 110,000 cases recorded in April of 2020. Of the 33 districts in the country, 20% of them have zero doctors. There are 500 ventilators and 700 intensive care beds available in the entire country. Many healthcare workers have also left due to insufficient protection. In short, at the beginning of the pandemic, Yemen had many of the conditions that would facilitate unchecked spread of the virus, while also being wholly unprepared to handle the pandemic with a medical system completely decimated by the war. What's more, the pandemic has also restricted the availability of international aid and attention as countries became preoccupied handling their own outbreaks. This has intensified the hunger crisis and has left many without the aid they need. Additionally, with more and more women providing for their families, the pandemic has ruined many of the jobs and businesses women began to meet their needs. With 5 million more children out of school since the pandemic began, women are also facing more childcare responsibilities. All of this is to say that COVID has made a terrible situation even worse exacerbating many of the pre-existing challenges of the conflict and adding additional ones for Yemen to contend with. However, as vaccines begin to roll out across the world, we finally have some reasons to be optimistic. Although vaccines have been delivered to Yemen, the country still faces huge logistical and infrastructural challenges to vaccinate enough of its citizens to truly make the pandemic recede. 360,000 AstraZeneca doses have been delivered to Yemen as part of the global COVAX vaccine sharing program. 1.9 million doses are scheduled to arrive in Yemen this year. Of the millions of people in Yemen, only 18,555 doses have been administered so far in government-held areas. Of course, these are all important steps towards inoculating the population but it is also essential to recognize the ways that Yemen's poverty and conflict has made the vaccination campaign challenging. As vaccines continue to be administered around the world, the status of Yemeni vaccinations will be important to monitor and a crucial aspect of aid services going forward. We hope that this podcast has given you a better understanding of what is happening in Yemen and has illustrated the severity of the crisis. Despite the fact that the conflict has created the worst humanitarian crisis in the world, most people don't seem to know or care about what Yemeni people are facing. It is important to highlight the fact that the conflict and war are not inherent or inevitable aspects of Yemen. What we are seeing is a series of choices compelled by a complicated history, which is to say, Yemen deserves our attention and support. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community 
so that more people are aware of the situation and can contribute to solutions. Thanks so much for listening.